Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Friday, October 16th, 2020. We're entering the Can We Talk About This Zone? Because they had the Once Upon a Snowman press event. Now, did you see that this week or last week? I saw it this week. I, I was doing press the same day that you, of your press conference, but I just did the okay. I just did the one-on-ones instead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think we're not allowed to talk about this till Wednesday, right? Yeah. Or... We, I th- I'm sure we can say that we both enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I, uh, Ava, your dad did a great job. Yes. Like, I got to say that right up front, it's charming as hell and... But we can't get into specifics till uh, next week's, folks. So, no. so please come back because, again, there's some great stories associated with this yes. kind of a untold story from the frozen world. Yes. And uh, a lot of news this week. And the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of fine-tuning. For a worry-free travel experience, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Drew, so just to run full speed into this here, the Disney reorg. This really isn't a surprise given what's been going on as we've been under COVID quarantine and watching the reaction to various stuff that Disney's put out on Disney Plus. But did you see this coming? No, and I think there are some surprises, like the fact that that Rebecca isn't going to be reporting to Chapek directly on a lot of things uh, kind of surprised mm. me because I, I thought she was sort of next in line for the throne. Mm. And she mm. still could be, but it makes sense from a certain point of view because the streaming service is really the, the driving economic engine for the company for the last six months uh, when mm-hmm. everything else has been shut down more or less, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a little disappointed. I, I, I think you and I talk a lot about the Eisner era and the amount of mm-hmm. companies and divisions that were just proliferating during his mm-hmm. tenure and how kind of exciting that was, right? Like, you know, there was a real throw everything on the wall and see what sticks mentality. And this is this is the further smoothing away of that rough stone until there's just sort of a corporate kind of egg there that that. Is all about fran. Did you? I'm sure you noticed Chapek's phrasing of franchise-based content. Yeah, and did a chill run up your spine when you read the phrase "legacy platforms"? Yeah, as in movie theaters yeah. and terrestrial television. It's like holy cow. Yeah, but I think Chapek said that it wasn't a question of that COVID happened and we launched Disney Plus and we made this decision. This has been in the works for years and. They, I guess the way they phrase it, they anticipate doing it two and three years down the line. But the fact that the five-year goal for Disney Plus was 100 million subscribers. And by August of this year, they had 60.5. Yeah. Why delay? They hit the switch now, but geez. Well, and there was also a lot of outspoken shareholder stuff in regard mm -hmm. to that. I'm sure you saw that, that one of the, the leading shareholders basically said, to take the $3 billion deferment that happened at the end of fiscal 2020 Mm -hmm. and reinvest it in Disney+. And to me, a lot of the maneuvering seems to be, okay, if theaters are dead for the next year, Mm -hmm. if Black Widow has to go on Disney+, Mm -hmm. how do we make more money out of that? Mm -hmm. And how do we turn Disney+, into a true kind of arm of the Disney octopus that can 
pitch hit when theme parks and cruise ships and all those things aren't around in terms of selling product and being the synergistic partner that we all know it to be. So yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting move, but the announcement was so bogged down by corporate speak and gobbledygook that I don't, you know, I don't anticipate many people are really understanding what, what it was all about also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The weird thing is that if you look at the stories that kind of emerged in parallel with this and, you know, for example, AMC announcing that they'll, they're probably going to run out of cash before the end of the year. And we had the theater chain announce just last week that they were going to be closing down till 2001. And there was a story just today that broke about, you know, theater owners in France who were complaining about, here is this perfectly wonderful animated feature, Pixar's Soul. And our theaters are ready to open. You know, why is it that you're going to throw this on the streaming service? You know, why not release it to theaters? And speaking of which, we did have the new Soul trailer drop, which... You you told me in a note you stopped watching halfway through, right? Yes, or... and I've seen 40 minutes of the movie, but I was just, <laughs> uh, it was just a little, a little too uh, spoilery for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't like seeing nope. the soul creatures on Earth, mm-hmm. so that's why I backed out, but that's, that's okay. Uh, okay. I admire self-discipline. I have none. Speaking of how the world changed just this week. What do you make of these cultural, well, racist imagery and cultural stereotype warnings that just get, get placed in front of six classic Disney animated features over on Disney Plus? I mean, I think, have you visited that website? The I forget what it's called. Oh, the, it's Disney Stories Matter. Yes, I mean, you can tell that a lot of thought went into this, and the amount of Mm -hmm. groups that they consulted on the Mm -hmm. disclaimers is pretty staggering. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was a great kind of workaround. You know, it seems like they're they're not going to commit to some kind of formal introduction. Like, I've seen people complaining on Twitter a lot about Mm -hmm. wanting some kind of host for them, which Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure is the greatest idea, but I know that they've, they've kind of toyed with that idea in the past but i think i think mm-hmm. they're great i mean the fact that they actually are talking specifics is really good i think no 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 absolutely and peter pan i get you know what makes the red man red scene is it's just embarrassing these days lady and the tramp and the aristocats the depictions of Cy and am and the chinese cat from the cat pack i get that likewise dumbo i i completely understand swiss family robinson the, the pirates and i guess there is some some faux blackface in there and it's a little okay i get that i don't i initially jungle book the the animated jungle book from 67 right uh, yeah. What are they going after there? What is I don't know. They didn't have a, a write-up on that one. So mm-hmm. I'm curious as to what that will be. Maybe the depiction. There's supposed to be an India, right? So I, that's probably not the greatest depiction of people from that region. So, I, But that's the only thing I can think of. I'm sure you've seen some of the storyboard elements that are out there for the, the Bill Pete darker version of the Jungle Book that Walt shut down. And in fact, that's why Bill left Disney Studios. Mm-hmm. That one I, I compl- completely get. You know, the, the, the Indian characters in that were incredibly stereotyped. The fact that the language they use, that these stereotypes were wrong then and they're wrong now. And it's just sort of like, wow, that's pretty ballsy. Yeah. Just be upfront about, okay, 
we got it wrong, but people love these films, but there's parts of these films that are culturally questionable today, and we're being upfront about it. Yeah, I applaud them. Okay. Did you get the notice about the Disney Plus launching the Simpsons Forever promotion? Yeah, I, I was sort of confused as to what that was exactly. The Simpsons are one of the huge successes of Disney Plus, and you were the one who was telling me the story about when they were doing, they were sort of eyeballing the Fox acquisition. Can you tell that story about? Yeah, uh, I, they, well, this was this was years ago, so this was a long time before mm-hmm. the actual Fox acquisition. But they did a mm-hmm. what they call a brand compatibility sort of survey to see if The Simpsons and Disney lined up correctly, and it did. The same people mm-hmm. that love The Simpsons love Disney, so that. Mm-hmm made the Fox acquisition a much more enticing proposition for the powers that be to mm-hmm. see that these two things align so so uh, nicely. And apparently they have, because like you said, it's a huge hit. The very fact that The Simpsons remain, I mean, we're, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the launch of Disney+, and The Simpsons remain in the front window. They remain that big a draw. This is not a response to anything that Disney has done in the past week or so, but what did you make of of that announcement that Netflix, uh, starting in 2021, is going to try to release six animated films a year? I mean, I think it's great. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, as many people have pointed out, they are not burdened by the same kind of infrastructure as other animation mm-hmm. companies are because they are farming out the animation, not mm-hmm. actually producing it in-house, but any way you cut it, it's pretty dang ambitious, and uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I think two of the movies next year are going to be Pinocchio and the Henry Selleck movie, so that's pretty exciting. Wow, the the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio? Yeah, yeah, that's supposed to be next year. Oh, jeez, I forgot and lost track on that. Yeah. We were trying to remember if there was a year in like either the late 90s or the early 2000s, back when Disney was taking the home premieres like Jungle Book 2 or Peter Pan 2, and they would do a theatrical release out ahead of them becoming available for a home purchase. During that period, that was also during the time when Disney was doing like two features a year. Yeah. And they would put out like Doug and and, uh, Teacher's Pet, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. I'll have to go back and see yeah. if, if there actually was a year that Disney did that, where they got six animated features out the door. But again, you, you were mentioning early on about how with this reorg, Disney is is smoothing the stone, so to speak. And, and likewise, Netflix not being burdened by corporate structure. And sadly, over at Cartoon Network, they're in a bit of a reorg themselves over there. And... We just learned t- tonight, in fact, that the creator Geneva tweeted out that there was a, a new series in the works for Cartoon Network called Trick Moon. Uh, in fact, you can go right now on YouTube, and it's a Cartoon Network short, you know, seven or so minute long sample episode of the show, and it's beautifully designed, wonderfully written, has been viewed over eight million times, so it had its fan base, and... The creator got it online and broke it to the fans on Twitter that it has nothing to do with the show. It's just during the reorg, something had to die. And this is, you know, this trick moon became a corporate casualty. 
Yeah, it's a shame, too, because Geneva was a storyboard artist on OKKO, Let's Be Heroes, which I think Uh, also kind of was sort of prematurely ended by Cartoon Network. So she's just having a little bad luck, but she'll be fine, I'm sure. Yeah. These days, there are so many different places for shows to land, and I'm I'm kind of hoping that maybe that could be the case with Trick Moon, because it's a lot of fun. Now, speaking of shows that went... To different... Uh, I'm, I'm to, loving to this know, transition, sub- Jim. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> we were talking about subscription <laughs> streaming services, and we had Hair Love, the wonderful short that won the Academy Award this year, and then HBO Max picked it up as a 12-episode show called Young Love, Matthew Cherry, and it's like, that's great. But we also just got news this week that he's going to make his animated feature debut at Sony. Yeah, Sony has got an interesting kind of, you know, lineup headed up mm-hmm. the next couple of years. But it's just described as an Afro-futuristic take on King Tut called Tut. Mm-hmm. So that sounds cool to me. Bring it on, I say. I'm genuinely looking forward to this. I'm excited as Matthew is a, a filmmaker to get this opportunity. I just get a little concerned where it's like, okay, so you're going to do a 12-episode animated series and a feature. And... The thing is that when a filmmaker gets too much in his plate, stuff starts to fall off. And case in point, Guillermo del Toro, which we'll talk a bit more about right after this break. Before we we pick up with where we left off last week with Disney Double Dare You, by the way, I got a, note, a couple of notes from listeners to the effect of there's a you at the end of that, Disney Double Dare You. So my apologies. But I wanted to ask, did you get to see the cold opening for episode one of the Animaniacs review? Yeah, I thought that was really great. Really funny. The animation was a little dodgy, that, and I wonder if that was just because it was sort of a test thing and it won't mm-hmm. actually be in the show. But yeah, I thought it was great. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, okay. All right, you guys know what you're doing. And just the reaction is like, you brought back Pinky in the brain too? <laughs> it's like, oh no, just some good writing. They're there. back, Jim. Uh, They're back. Yes, and I want to point out again, that's November 20th on Hulu. On the other hand, just last week, we had the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks and uh, the full 10 episodes. I think the show started off shaky. It was almost too inside baseball for for Star Trek fans. But I think over time, it, it hit its groove. It got stronger and funnier and... The 10th episode, it, it's worth it for just the cameos that folks who, who come in from the other parts of the structure, but it's also a really funny, well-written episode. I gotta, I gotta do it. I, my CBS All Access has been very buggy lately, so I've, I've, I have not gotten to watch it yet, but I will, I will make it a priority this weekend. That's great. Okay. But on the other hand, you got to see Lupin the Third, the first. Yes, I did. Uh, um, and it, it's really wonderful. It's playing this weekend and I think early next week as a Fathom event. And then it'll be on mm-hmm. digital in December and on Blu-ray in January. And it is really something. I mean, the story is something that you you probably expect from a, another Lupin adventure, which if you don't mm-hmm. know, the character has been around since the late 60s and was one of the first things Miyazaki did back in the early 70s, and he also directed a, a, a movie version of Lupin the Third. But you've seen the clips online, Jim. The way that they've captured that style and the anime mm-hmm. feeling in 3D computer animation is staggering. It's just the most fun thing to watch. And it feels like what 
Spielberg was kind of going for with Tintin a little bit, uh, but didn't quite do. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, you know, there is that one shot, that one continuous. I mean, yeah, that's a great, that's a great shot and a great scene. But that's yeah, yeah. But that's kind of it. Yeah. Oh, cool. No, no, I cannot wait to see. Yeah, this. I think you're okay. gonna love it. Yeah. So anyway, folks, again, last episode, we brought you to the point where Dick Cook uh, was reaching out to Guillermo del Toro and proposing that he and Disney collaborate on this new series of films that were uh, supposed to thrill and chill children of all ages. Now, I'm going to defer at many points here to Drew, because Drew's actually talked to Guillermo himself about a lot of this stuff. I've assembled the timeline here because some of it is that there's a lot of stuff that kind of runs on parallel tracks and it's, it's hard to get out to shake out the timing. But the way I see the starting drew is that April of 2008, Guillermo gets hired to direct the Hobbit by Peter Jackson. And this is a big deal. I mean, he's, he's going to have to relocate to for four years to New Zealand to shoot the films and do edit and all that work. And he's talking with Disney about launching Disney Double Dare You. And according to the original publicity, this was just going to be an arm that did animated films. In fact, in Guillermo's note, when he talks about thanking Disney, this is the quote, to partner up with the Walt Disney Studios with the support of Dick Cook and John Lasseter is to belong to a storytelling partnership that I deeply admire. So... Was that your understanding that it, it was going to be animated? Because I thought it was sort of anything that he came up with, although the animation part is really interesting. And him singling out John Lasseter, I wonder if some of the projects could have been at Pixar, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we've talked about, Pixar hasn't really done a, a scary movie yet. Okay, so the official announcement is made on September 11th, 2009. It's at the very first... D23 Expo, and in fact, it's the first day of the first Expo, and this is during the studio presentation. And I don't know if you remember the controversy after that that first day, Drew, where Disney's PR team was really, really ticked off at Dick Cook because he had persuaded John Travolta to come down to Anaheim. This, This is the event that ended with Johnny Depp in full makeup as Jack Sparrow right. coming on stage to announce on Stranger Tides. I mean, he he loaded up this presentation with crazy number of stars, but Dick hadn't told anyone. So the PR team felt that if you'd let us know, we could have persuaded the trades to come down there. We could have had a lot more photography. We would have made a bigger deal out of this. And this was particularly a sore point because for that very first day of the D23 Expo, which, remember, was a Thursday? This was the first one was four days long. Right. And they had sold so few tickets. There's this famous story about how they went over to Disneyland and they started pulling cast members out of attractions and said, go back to your locker, put on your street clothes and get over to the Anaheim Convention Center and just start walking around. Because right now the place is empty and we don't want that to be the story that Disney's attempt at a fan convention failed. Wow, that's a, that's some big Contact 96 energy right there. 
Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. The crowds definitely came out on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which going forward, that's why D23 got reinvented as a three-day long event. But they were shooting right out of the box for that Comic-Con type setup. But anyway, people were so upset at Disney corporate that Dick had kept this a secret, you know, all these stars going down to Anaheim, that it finally became the breaking point between Bob Iger and Dick Cook. And Dick had worked for Disney for 38 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And Bob Iger had been the CEO since September of 2005. And it was just sort of like, and they'd never really hit it off. They just weren't in sync. And so Bob basically said, that's it, Dick. You're done. And he forced him out the door. And that, in a lot of ways, Disney double dare you, at least to my way of thinking, never really recovered from that. You know, once because yeah. Dick was the champion of this thing. Dick was taking some big swings, though. You know, Dick was the one that was that made the image movers deal. He was mm-hmm. the one that brought Gore Verbinski back to do Lone Ranger. He had mm-hmm. a lot of great sense of talent, but also had a lot of that Eisner spirit of just trying new things and different things. And Mm -hmm. that did not really align with Iger's kind of portfolio management style of governing the Walt Disney Company. Well, you have to remember weeks before the first expo was when Disney bought Marvel. And that was Iger's take on what Disney should be. You know, we're going to create the Marvel silo, which we'll put next to the Pixar silo. Well, I don't know if you remember, but when Dick Cook left, they Johnny Depp said, I might not be coming back for this Pirates That's movie. right. That's right. That's He did mention that there are cracks in my enthusiasm, I think was the quote. Yeah. So this happens in September of 2009. And then Guillermo's two years into working on The Hobbit. And in May of 2010, he announces... He's stepping away as the director, and that's through no fault of his own. I mean, MGM was was circling the bowl at that point. I mean, there were a lot of motivating factors, but part of it was that Guillermo had made promises to all these outside companies that he could be doing things in between The Hobbit, and but here was The Hobbit, you know, taking up more time and more oxygen, and and not actually moving forward. Yeah. If you want to read a good profile of that period, there's a great New Yorker mm. piece about it that actually describes some of the characters that he was working on for The Hobbit, including Smaug being what the writer describes as a flying axe, that it was just completely stuff that was just completely outside of the realm of fantasy that he was going to do. And so it's uh, it's very sad that we did not get his Hobbits and instead got... Peter Jackson's three movie tech demo reel, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was that aspect. Yeah. But during this same time, all of us are kind of standing outside trying to figure out, all right, what's going on? Uh, jump ahead to July of 2010. We're all in Hall H. Guillermo's on stage. And we get that 35-second teaser for his Haunted Mansion movement, which... I only just realized today when I was looking at it, that's Ian McShane narrating that. I've never seen the footage. Is it online? Yeah, yeah. If you do Guillermo del Toro Haunted Mansion, I mean, again, it's somebody with a you know a phone camera shooting it, right? And it's out of focus, but you, but you get what he was going to do, or you know, you get what he did for the teaser. So 
given the reaction in the room, it's like, oh my God, you know, Gerald's going to do the Haunted Mansion movie, which means the Eddie Murphy movie never happened. But explain to me where Don't Be Afraid of the Dark fits in here. Don't Be Afraid of the Dark was filmed in 2009. And then it was a, it was a Disney Double Dare You project, mm-hmm. but they were thinking it was more of a gremlinsy type movie for the family and it was not it was a lot harder and it was i think it ultimately got an r rating but well yeah see now you did a great interview with him for indiewire but he he talked about well i i wanted to make scary movie for kids the the irony was that don't be afraid of the dark was supposed to be the first one and we got an r rating which was a huge blow because the film was done specifically thinking that it could be enjoyed by kids right and in a parallel interview, he talked about that we had an agreement. We shot a movie with no sex, no gore, no profanity, because we thought that it was a way to avoid R. And the MPAA came back and said, doesn't matter. We'd be rated R anyway for pervasive scariness, which Guillermo actually took great pleasure in. Yeah. But also what, hap- what was happening was this is also when they were selling off Miramax. So it it went with Miramax, which I think for a long time, and it might even still be the case, Miramax is sort of a holding company for Mm -hmm. the IP that was developed under the brothers. We won't say their Mm -hmm. name. And Mm -hmm. so I think it was was eventually released in like August 2011 by Sony of all all people. So as far as that went, it, it, it was not a very good beginning is what I'm trying to say. So many of these, this story runs on a parallel track. Guillermo, back in 2006, writes a screenplay for a feature film version of H.P. Lovecraft's In the Mountains of Badness, which is this famous story that everyone said is unfilmable. But there's enough interest in town that Universal announces that they're going to be making with Guillermo In, in the Mountains of Madness, but... Talk about the A-team that he had assembled for this. Well, James Cameron, he had gotten on board as a producer who Mm -hmm. he and James Cameron go way back. And Mm -hmm. James Cameron, I believe, paid the ransom when Guillermo del Toro's father was kidnapped in Mexico. Have you ever heard that story? No. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're very close. And I think that Guillermo actually stayed at Cameron's house when he first moved to L.A., and Cameron oh actually God. has in his possession, this is like the lost notebook of, you know, whatever, yeah. Shangri-La. He has mm-hmm. some of Guillermo's notebooks that Guillermo gifted to James Cameron as a thank you for letting him stay in his house when he first moved oh. to L.A., which is pretty amazing. So anyway, they're very close. Cameron's mm-hmm. producing this movie to try to get it through. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is starring as the lead adventurer in this story that takes place in the Arctic Circle with all sorts of crazy things, which I also wanted to tell you, Jim, if you were Mm -hmm. really keen-eyed at that At Home with Monsters exhibit, you could actually see some of the creatures from At the Mountains of Madness, including the Ah. giant penguin creature, which Ah. was very cool. So he was was ready. How How anyone could turn this down, Jim? Is well, that's me. the thing. I remember hearing from friends who got into the production office and they saw all the amazing paintings and all of the models. And I mean, they were churning on this thing because they had the A-team assembled. You know, Cruz is your star, Cameron is your producer, Guillermo, who just came off of Pan's Labyrinth. And yet they were supposed to start shooting in May of 2011. And then in March of 2011, Universal 
just hits the brakes on this $150 million movie because Guillermo was like, this has to be R. And the studio was, no, for us to have a huge success with this, it has to be PG-13. And you have to make cuts to make this PG-13. And it's like, it's H.P. Lovecraft. People know this story. I can't make those sorts of cuts. And the project dies. Though he he has been talking about, he still wants to try to do it. And yeah, I heard he, I heard recently he kind of walked back to the R rated thing and said, "Well, maybe I can do it for PG thirteen. Back in August of this year, HBO launches a brand new series, Lovecraft Country, which again is this celebration of the very weird characters that HP came up with, and it's this huge hit. So obviously, this is kind of that moment. This is when. This would be ideal to turn the key on this, and but we still live in this space where the giant corporations that own the media companies these days, it's like, eh, if it's R, I limit my audience size. So it's like, figure out how to make this PG or PG-13. Or do it for $25 million instead of 150 Well, there's that too. All right, all of this is going on. When does he go over to DreamWorks? Because it's like in this same window of time, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, it, it had been, I don't know, a year. I guess it was even less mm. than a year than that Puss in Boots came out. And and in that time, in between showing the Haunted Mansion stuff, or maybe it had been, mm. maybe it had dissolved before then, but Katzenberg signs him onto this creative consultant position at DreamWorks mm. Animation where he's going to get a kind of celebratory executive producer credit on all the animated movies going forward and he'll offer input and give notes and stuff like that mm-hmm. which I think you can really see in some of the movies Puss in Boots I think you can really feel his touch Oh yeah yeah but yeah. It, it's very weird because you know I guess that this deal included animated TV shows which we'll get to a mi- in a minute but yeah they ended up adapting a project he had designed for Disney for DreamWorks and Netflix. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Guillermo signs the deal with DreamWorks in September 2010. Puss in Boots comes out October 2011. Rise of the Guardians, one of my favorite films, uh, comes up November 2012. But Guillermo hands in a script for Haunted Mansion in 2012. He and Disney go back and forth. And again, it's the problem is that it's it's really hardcore. It's still the thrills and chills for children of all ages but disney is even on the back of the skeleton pirates and in curse of the black pearl and and the like it's like "Eh, this is a little too far for us but he does a rewrite and there's this famous series of photos of it's april of 2015 and here's guillermo with ryan gosling at disneyland at the haunted mansion because he's trying to sell ryan on appearing in the Haunted Mansion movie. And you were mentioning, what was it, just this week? Was it a TikTok or, or something? Yeah, it was somebody that's... somebody put resurfaced video of Ryan Gosling in 2012 talking mm-hmm. about how he didn't like the, that the Christmas overlay was there for Halloween. He thought that the Haunted Mansion should be pure for Halloween. I agree with him. I agree with him. But it's just mm-hmm. so funny because you can tell he really cared about it. And supposedly the story that Guillermo had cooked up was mm-hmm. about the Hatbox Ghost, who had not, yeah. who had not sort of risen to prominence, much less been in the ride since the early days of the Haunted Mansion. But mm-hmm. he also promised that the way you were going to see ghosts in this movie were, was unlike anything you'd ever seen before. So, what a missed opportunity there, Jim. 
This story is so confusing. July of 2015, the Troll Hunters, which was supposed to be the very first animated project that was going to be made under the Disney Double Dare You banner, evidently the Troll Hunters book is published by Disney. Uh, it comes out paperback, uh, aimed at, at young readers. But then 18 months later, we get Troll Hunter series, which comes from DreamX Animation Television and Double Dare You. Yeah, and you know what? While we're talking, uh, mm -hmm. Rodrigo Blas, who was one of the directors and creative minds behind Troll Hunters and all of the Troll Hunters universe, uh, mm -hmm. put up an animatic on Twitter mm -hmm. that he and Guillermo were working on a Pacific Rim animated show. And he said, studio said yes in the room, but the same day we got the green light for the series Troll Hunters. So another little sliding doors, what could have been, we could have had a Guillermo del Toro Pacific Rim animated series, which I, I don't know about you, Jim, but I love Pacific Rim. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I have a weakness for kaiju that goes back years. In fact, the running joke now with Alice is every Christmas she gets me some sort of Godzilla-related item. So I have a Godzilla oven mitt. I have a Godzilla humidifier. I hope the steam comes out of his mouth. Is that? It does. Okay, it does. It's just, it's, it's very cool. But anyway, I genuinely enjoyed that. The follow-up. Uh, well, yeah, but the interesting thing is to, to keep the theme going that the original Pacific Rim was R, wasn't it? Uh, no, it was PG-13. Okay, yeah. but the studio made a decision that for the next one, because they wanted a bigger kid audience, didn't they deliberately make it a PG with the notion of, you know, you want as many kids as possible that can come to this thing? I tried to drag uh, that movie into my the into the recycling mm. bin of my mind, Jim, because it was so <laughs> terrible. Yeah, but this is how studios think. But anyway, I, I, you pointed out that Guillermo, even when the Disney deal went south, he maintained the Double Dare You brand. Yeah, it's the same logo that they premiered at yeah. D23 and everything. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But it's a production company behind Troll Hunters, a company behind Troll Hunters, Shape of Water, Crimson Peak. Yeah. I mean, if, everything he's done. In fact, you pointed out even the Pinocchio that's coming out next yeah, year. Yeah, Pinocchio and, and Robert Zemeckis' Witches, which was that's partially right. that's based right. on a an old old del toro screenplay is gonna is that's on there too so that'll be out next week but every time i see that logo i think oh what could have been yeah yeah but anyway we got 52 episodes of the troll hunter series and then 2021 over at netflix we're getting a full-length animated troll hunters feature uh troll hunters rise of the titan so it only took us 12 years, Drew, but we, we finally got here. Also, do you know who was a board member on the, the legendary board of directors when Pacific Rim and Crimson Peak, two huge movies that, that Guillermo directed, one of them R-rated, which is Crimson Peak, mm -hmm. was none other than Dick Cook. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I really should have pulled out a whiteboard for this yeah. one. Or at the very least, you know, when you see the conspiracy theories where they have the, the thumbnails and the little red yarn yeah. running in all sorts of directions here. But 2015, we have Ryan Gosling and Guillermo at Disneyland for Haunted Mansion. And so Guillermo hands in the script and Disney eyeballs it. And again, it's, it's, this is really too extreme for us. And so this dream gets deferred. And so the project that he picks up after that point is Shape of Water. He shoots it August uh, through November of 2016. 
so low budget, Jim, that they reused and repainted sets from The Strain, his FX <sighs> vampire show, turned them into the set of Shape of Water. That's that's ingenuity, and, Jim. No, 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 that's it exactly. But more to the point, the fact that this is his best picture. This is his best directing Oscar. Reusing sets from The Strain, but it also wins the Academy Award for Best Production Design. But uh, same thing, it's rated R, so even if he'd taken it to, to Disney, they wouldn't have taken it. So I'm trying to figure out what the lesson here is. I mean, I'll go to anything Guillermo de Toro directs or has a hand in because he's such a wonderful storyteller. But at the same time, he has left this trail, this huge trail of what-ifs that, that just... I want to see the Mountains of Madness. I want to see his Hounded Mansion movie. I know. Two things I think we should take away. One is that he will get whatever he wants done, done eventually. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Shape of Water was like, he went to Universal and said, I want the creature from the Black Lagoon to end up with the girl. That's right. And they they told him to kick rocks. He did Mm -hmm. did not let that persuade him. And also Mm -hmm. what's interesting is that his next movie, which is a remake of Nightmare Alley, which is an old Tyrone Power movie. um, Mm Mm-hmm is being released by Fox Searchlight, where he has an overall deal, which is now a part of Disney. (laughs) Can they get him back over the line and do the Haunted Mansion now? I mean, I actually asked him about this last summer when Mm -hmm. uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark came out, and he just said, you know what? It's somebody else's now. I've I've wasted too much time. But you're right. I I just want him to make more movies, basically. Mm, Because, you know, there's a... (laughs) <laughs> he signed a new tier of writers in 2019 for a Haunted Mansion movie that perhaps if COVID hadn't broken, it was supposed to, I guess, start shooting in 2021 to come out in 2022. But just as frustrating as sometimes when you see the models, when you see the art, you know, when you see how close he is to turning the key on things and then they don't happen. It's just, uh, okay. but again, that's the business. So to pivot to your other podcast, uh, Light the Fuse, been seeing a lot of stuff from Mr. Cruz, and and uh, yeah. they're shooting a car chase, or they're shooting a car chase in uh, not Ven- they're in Rome right now. They were in Venice. I mm-hmm. think they're going to Rome next. So they've they've done mm-hmm. a a train chase in Norway, and now a car chase in Rome, and we'll see what mm-hmm. else happens. But yeah, we've we've got a bunch of great episodes lined up. We recorded a really big name this week i'm hesitant to say but if you he definitely crosses over into the disney realm i think he's got more music and disney theme parks than even the sherman brothers do uh so you'll have to you'll have to tell me who you think that is yeah we've got a lot of great episodes coming up the barber bane episodes start next week jim so you're gonna have to tune in to those legendary barber bane Mm. 89 years old gems original star of the show for the first three seasons i mean come Mm. on yeah, yeah. Then she and your husband went off to make Space 19. 19- no. Yeah, sorry, Space 1999. She says that people there we go. people love Space 19. I, I don't remember it very well, but people love it. So I don't know. It's got a following, mm. Jim. That she does. That she does. And, uh, by the way, folks, if you haven't listened to the, the David Cope episodes, yes. those are gold. Thank you. Know, you. That, Thank that, you. So many great stories about so many of the movies he worked Including on. Including some right? Disney stuff. Yes, yes, yes. So, no, no, no. Definitely go check those out. On the other hand, folks, over here, well, we got Disney with Lentesta. We got Looking at Lucasfilm. Danzy and I just did a new episode this week. Going to be recording a new Universal joint with Dustin Fuse on Sunday. And then uh, right after that on Monday, uh, Aaron and I will be sitting down to do a new 
uh, Marvelous Disney. And yes, we did actually get on the board with an I want that. I saw that, Jim. Very happy to have Dan Shelley back up and behind the mic again. But I tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you get head over to iTunes and rate and recommend Light the Fuse as well as Fine Tuning, uh, if you get head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. If people are looking for you on Twitter, where can they find you, Drew? They can find me at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt. Mm-hmm. And also, we need to tell people to go vote, Jim. Yes. Did you see that yes. there's a there's a polling station at CityWalk? I, I walked across the street to the park like a schmuck. I should have gone <laughs> up and, you know, had a voodoo donut and put in my CityWalk, uh, put in my, you know, vote up there. But, yes, we need to see, tell everyone, Jim, to vote. This is our our democratic duty um, to do that. See, now, you, you in California, you get to go to colorful places to vote. I get to go to the gymnasium of the middle school. Vote early if you can. I don't know what these 80-year-old women are going to be doing with iPads this year, so please. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that actually that, that reminds me of my, my, my favorite saying of the old mayor of Chicago, Richard Daly. Vote early and vote often. I, but all right, leave off the, vo- the yes, often yes. part. But vote early, yes, please, yeah. please. And let's see. Uh, Nancy would also want me to remind you that for us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. That's going to do it for this week, folks. But yes, please come back next week and we will tell you about Once Upon a Snowman, a great, fun, new short from Walt Disney Animation Studio. You can tell people about it, Jim. I'm keeping quiet about Once Upon a Snowman. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Thanks again, folks.